Are you going to North Wilkesboro this weekend for the Truck Series and NASCAR All-Star Race? If so, we want to meet you. Rick Houston and the Daily Downforce crew will be at North Wilkesboro Speedway this weekend. We'll be at the Moonshine and Motorsports Trail booth in the Fan Zone on Saturday at noon. We'll have a show truck there and some cool giveaways as well, so come check us out and say hello. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They yeah. had been they had been yeah. around the block a time or two. What's so, the first deal they built? I bet. No, no. You know, you, I think they were they had the the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, aka Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap, cheapo cars, and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was a chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who, who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a, in a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item. Packed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. In this episode of Maiden Level Cross, you're going to hear about the NASCAR playoff format, the stress when Bubba Wallace says hello, a controversial Matt Kenseth opinion, and a behind-the-scenes look into how Thad got his NASCAR truck ride. You're listening to Maiden Level Cross, presented by Christine Austin. I'm Thad Moffitt. And I'm Roland George. And today we have a very special guest to us. Eric Easton. 
Yeah, Thad. NASCAR YouTube creator Eric Eastep, you know, he started his channel a few years ago, starting with diecast stop motion videos. And so far, he's racked up millions of views, and he's pretty much the number one NASCAR YouTuber out there. So pumped to have him on board the show. Yeah, so I, a couple of years ago, I didn't know who Eric Eastep was, and now he's like a household name in the garage. So all props to him for everything that he's accomplished already in his short NASCAR career. And excited to talk to him today and learn some stuff about him. Right on. Let's get into it. And joining us today is Eric Eastep. Eric, thank you for coming on Made in Level Cross today and joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Thad. Great to great to be here. Yeah, so we wanted to ask you a couple questions kind of about how how you got started into uh, the NASCAR stuff. So obviously, looking back at some of your history, you did stop motion videos. How did you turn yeah. from stop motion videos to where you're at now? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. I always pride myself in my YouTube career. I was able to sort of transition from a couple different types of content and still, you know, still find an audience. That's hard to do. I think a lot of traditional YouTubers are always afraid to try anything different because you risk alienating your current audience and you may not find something better at the end of the rainbow, you know? But for me, I grew up doing those stop motion videos because I had a bunch of die cast cars and my parents had a spare bedroom. I could set up these little Lego paper and you know, plastic racetracks in. And, and it was just fun. It was a fun hobby. It was a great way for me to connect to the NASCAR online space. Because growing up, I didn't know really many friends in my neighborhood who watched racing or cared about it nearly to the level or extent that I did. So that was fun to do kind of in high school. It's just a, a side gig, a way to be a part of the NASCAR conversation and community. But when I left for college and I went to film school actually for a few years, I did the whole random roommate deal. And we were in a small dorm room with the, I was there with a total stranger, physically could not keep doing those stop motion videos. And I, you know, they, they were fun to do, but they were also tedious. I don't know if you've ever had to do stop motion animation or anything like that, Thad, but it's, you know, it's just tedious. It's very repetitive. It's hours of doing the exact same thing over and over again. It's like muscle memory. So I was looking for a new way to contribute to the online NASCAR space. And I looked around at existing NASCAR media and all due respect to many of the legends and the greats, but many of them I looked at were 40, 50, 60 years old. They had their connections. They've, they'd obviously been around a long time, very knowledgeable, but I felt like they didn't speak to the 20-year-old or the 15, 16-year-old as well as maybe I could. So that's the gap I tried to fill. I wanted to just sort of bring that perspective into the NASCAR world. And if people latched onto it, great. If they didn't, well, I was in college. I guess I'd have to go get a real job, <laughs> you know, hopefully graduate and everything <laughs> would go well. So that was sort of the background of it. It was partially just necessity. I just wanted to keep making content and being a part of the conversation. And that was the only physical way I could at that time. But I think I was also just ready at that point in my life. I was older and and wanted to, you know, I don't know, I guess it sounds cheesy, but contribute something a bit more, not meaningful, but I guess like I wanted to try and find solutions to bigger problems. Doing those stop motion videos were fun, good content, got a lot of kids, a lot of folks energized and excited, but we weren't really approaching the bigger topics. Like how does NASCAR reach different demographics, different audiences? What racing is good racing? What's actually entertaining? What's fun to talk about? You know, and no, that, that transition I think came at a, the perfect time in my life. Yeah. It's kind of like your stepping stone was like the stop motion videos to where you are now, like somewhat as mine was go-karts, late models, ARCA trucks, you know, you just, the longer you're in it, the more you want of it. Right. And the more you're able to talk about it. And so going back to something you just said that you were in high school and middle school when you had the die cast. So one of the questions I had not knowing a whole lot about your background was like, 
was this something you wanted to do from an early age? Cause like for me, I was born into a family that, that raced. Right. But yeah. so it's hard for me to imagine like kids just waking up one day and being like, man, NASCAR is the coolest thing ever. I want to be part of it. So, cause for me, it was like every conversation we ever had at family Thanksgiving was like NASCAR. We try <laughs> to see ourselves different, but then every story from grandpa leads back into, yeah, one time we were at the racetrack and this happened. Yeah. So, yeah. Tell us about that, Eric. I mean, you, you've been, gosh, we, we all know you as like the big NASCAR guy, but I mean, how far back did that go? Is that, you know, I know you're big into baseball, but was your dad taking your races at an early age? Like how far back does the NASCAR addiction go? Yeah. So yeah, Thad, you and I are the exact opposite. Yeah. You grew up in <laughs> the racing family, like, like the one i Grew up in the exact opposite. I'm from Houston, Texas, and there's he was racing out there, but uh, my parents didn't care about racing. Me and my dad got into NASCAR at about the same time. I got into it when I was about seven years old. Like any kid, I like playing with Hot Wheels cars. I like mm. the idea of race cars and playing Mario Kart and you know, <laughs> you know, racing video games. And I think one day I just stumbled upon a NASCAR race on TV, and I just realized, oh my gosh, racing is real. It's not just loopy doops <laughs> and Hot Wheels cars and explosions. I'm like, oh wow, this is a real thing. And so I just latched onto it from there. And I think what, why NASCAR always stuck with me compared to other motorsports, because I don't, I like, I'm honest, maybe I shouldn't say this. I don't watch a ton of other motorsports. I'll watch sure. IndyCar off and on. I'll watch F1 off and on. Um, you know, I'll keep up with some of the big, you know, short track races throughout the year. Um, I'll keep up with what's going on there. But NASCAR is the number one motorsport I watch. I watch a lot of other sports like basketball and baseball and football. Um, and I did as a kid as well. But I think why I always came back to NASCAR as like my motorsport of choice is because it's it's to me the most relatable. Obviously the cars reminiscent of real cars you drive on the street. Obviously they're tricked out and trimmed out and high powered and all that stuff. But, you know, I think the, the fact that it was an American sport, uh, you know, also very relatable, you know, it's, it's harder for me to relate to, you know, a racetrack in Abu Dhabi than it is, you know, Texas motor speedway. Like that's much more, I get that. I understand that. Um, and it's, it's weird as well. I've, I've never driven a race car. I mean, I've like raced go-karts at the family fun center with my friends before, but I've never driven a race car, but, but I've, I've like played enough video games and things that, you know, I'll be playing Forza or need for speed. And, you know, you hit the corner just right, complete the pass. It feels good. Like like, the same as when you like hit a line drive in baseball or something like, so, you know, I can kind of relate to that. It's all, it's all relatable. Even, even like the playoffs, a lot of folks don't like the playoffs. I completely understand why. And racing is very different than stick and ball sports totally understand that but because i didn't grow up watching other racing i grew up watching baseball the idea of a playoff and and you know putting an emphasis on the final 10 races you got to bring your best stuff late in the year like that always made sense to me in a way maybe it doesn't for a lot of other you know fans or people who come from purely racing backgrounds so at its core i think why i fell in love with nascar as opposed to maybe other motorsports just for all those reasons it was the most relatable motorsport to me got you what I was just thinking about playoffs, and I just wanted to lead into this question. Your favorite driver, Matt Kenseth. It's no no surprise. Your your channel colors are black and yellow. You know, Brandon Poole got you on track last year at Phoenix with a Matt Kenseth scheme. Why is Matt Kenseth your favorite driver? He's quiet, calculated, focused. Why does Eric like Matt Kenseth? It really doesn't make any sense. As a kid, I thought the black and yellow Dewalt car looked cool, so I started. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. 
And then it was actually, you know, we visited one of my mom's old high school friends. I think she lived in Georgia at the time. And I remember going into like her son, who's a little older than me, his bedroom, and he had Matt Kenseth stuff everywhere. Mm. And I'm like, oh, hey, that's the guy from the NASCAR Thunder games. Wait, <laughs> I, I play, I know this car. And I found out later that they were like, this was this, she was like his third cousin twice removed, something like that. There was a, a tie in there. But at that moment, I thought, okay, I'll start watching for Matt Kenseth more. And, you know, I just grew to like his, his no nonsense personality. He was all about results, worked hard, head down. Typically, at least not until late in his career, he wasn't part of the drama most weeks. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liked that. Let the other drivers be the headlines for maybe the wrong reasons. Matt Kenseth, when he's the headline, it's because he's winning or dominating or, or just cool, calm, quiet consistency. I, mean, I always just respected that, you know, the, the louder voices are the most entertaining, but you know, sometimes it's the quieter guys who are the actually best at what they do. And so that, I, I think that's why I gravitated towards Kenseth over the years. Well, that's relatable because you started it off by saying that you liked Matt Kenseth because of the black and yellow car as a kid. So like before, when I was like a little, little kid, like five or younger, Tony Stewart was my favorite because he drove the Home Depot car and my favorite color was orange. And so like, even though my, get much more orange than that, <laughs> <laughs> even though my family like owned race cars when I was a kid, I mean, that's initially what got me interested was the Home Depot car and watching Tony Stewart every weekend. And then seeing what he's her- turned his program into is, is really impressive. And what he yeah. does for motorsports as a whole whether it's dirt racing or drag racing or anything is really cool. So you said you had never driven a race car. Uh, One of the questions when we were talking about having you on the show was, did Eric ever have interest in like (laughs) being a race car driver? I know you're six foot seven, so it's going to be like impossible to fit you in a race car. Like we would have to raise the roof way up to get you in there. But I just wondered, like a lot of the guys I talked to, especially like here at the garage, they're like, I never really wanted to drive. I just wanted to work on the things. Like I thought they were the coolest thing ever. So is it like you just wanted to talk about it all the time or, or was driving something that you were like, man, that that'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, when I was playing those NASCAR Thunder games as a kid, I'd like to imagine it was me in the car. Sure. Like, <laughs> oh man, but, you know, went in in front of my home crowd at Texas. And, you know, oh, yeah. awesome, you know? But no, I never, I never considered being a driver. Yeah, I, I don't know why I didn't. I guess it just seemed so far fetched to me. I think even at a young age, I just sort of was aware of how expensive it was going to be. And, and again, not coming from a racing family, like it, it, it was going to be difficult. I, we could have found a way. Like if I really pushed out, I'm sure we could have gotten somewhere. My parents were always very supportive of every all the sports and extracurriculars I always did. So I'm sure we could have tried it, but it was never really on the horizon for me. I guess I was too busy with other stuff and. And even when I was, you know, my early days of YouTube, like I said, I went to film school. My first passion beyond sports was also just, I liked content creation, the visual storytelling. I, I, I liked that kind of stuff. I was kind of the, you know, I played a lot of sports as a kid, but when I wasn't playing sports, I was the nerdy kid with a camera trying to get his f- friends to act in, you know, little short films around the neighborhood all the time. And so, you know, I, I had, I had different passions. Like I said, I mean, I, going into college, I didn't expect to be working in a racing like in the racing industry, I always thought it was just going to be kind of a fun hobby or a side project. So no, I never really, I never really thought about driving, but you're right. At this point, I, I don't even know, like, you know, better than me. Are there any cars that I would like naturally fit in? Like, could I fit in a monster truck? Are those, those <laughs> yeah, you could probably fit in a monster truck. Or a truck. You think right. a, truck, a NASCAR 
Craftsman Truck Series truck would fit, Eric? I don't know if we stretched it out a little bit. Well, you know, I, I've had I had the honor of being with Eric at Phoenix with Brennan, and I got to meet his mom and dad, and it was it was really cool. So you know, Maiden Level Cross, this podcast, it's all about family, faith, friends, and the hard work and perseverance that it takes to to get through life. Right? It's yeah. interesting you mentioned that if you wanted to go racing, your parents would have supported you. Tell us about that. Like, what is what is it like having those parents right behind you? I mean, Thad's got amazing parents to support him. And like I said, I was an eyewitness to your parents. They were truly proud that day. How much of an impact have they had in your success doing the channel and becoming like one of the top NASCAR influencers there? Yeah. And I mean, their support has been incredible all along still to this day. You know, it, yeah, at first it was just a, a side project, but they support anyways. Like I said, they, I had a, they let me kind of take over the spare bedroom that was being used for storage to work on my little sets and tracks and things. And it's tough. I mean, it's cliche to say, but it's really hard to to get where you want to go in life without help, without strong support. And in my case, both my parents have absolutely been that for me from the very beginning. And it would have been easy. My dad's a software engineer. My mom's an art teacher. She's worked at like elementary and middle schools her whole life. But my dad's, you know, he's traditional, you know, business mathematics job. When I told him I wanted to go to film school or I wanted to do YouTube as a big side project content, you know, he could have easily scoffed his nose at that and said, no, I don't know. Okay. Like, well, how about you take a programming class as well? You know, he could have easily said something like that, but I don't know, I guess for whatever, whatever it was, there was a, like a, is weird to think of it this way, but there was like a mutual respect there, I guess, when I was 15, 16, 17, that, you know, maybe they saw that I knew what I was doing. I was good at what I was doing. And so they were comfortable letting me continue to pursue that path. And I knew I could trust them to um, support me no matter what. So it's, it's super important. And I'm obviously extremely thankful that they've been as supportive throughout my life as they have been, no matter what I wanted to do. So yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been possible. None of this would be possible without what they've been able to do for me over the years. Yeah. Without my family, there's no telling what I would be doing. You know, I mean, with with grandpa's support and my parents' support and Uncle Kyle and and, and everybody in the family kind of pulling in the same direction uh, has led me down down this path and has been supportive to me as well. So I definitely know where you're coming from on that one. And so like now that this channel is, has grown and you've been doing this for a few years, what is like some of your favorite experiences that that you've been able to do? Or, you know, for me, I can pinpoint like a handful of things that I think are really cool that I've got to do with my grandpa or just with my family at the track in general. So I was interested to hear what yours were. Yeah. Oh, there's a few that definitely jump into my mind. And then there's other things that I think about, like when I'm like falling asleep at night or in the shower and it hits me, I'm like, Oh, I forgot I did that. Like, that's crazy that that got to happen. The big one, I mean, Roland was obviously a huge part of it, but getting the out of the groove car on track at Phoenix last year was just surreal. And to work with Brennan, who I knew a little bit at the time, gotten to know a lot better since then also just made that really, really fun. Family was there that, like that weekend was that day was overwhelming because not only was all that happening, but I went back to the hotel that night and got to see my, my Astros win a world series. So I remember that day was nuts. Uh, that day was a, a dawn to dusk. It was a nonstop party. But beyond that, actually, and I'm not just saying this because you hear Thad, but getting your grandfather, having the king on my show last year, I believe it was, had a sort of a sponsor deal come together and he was able to come on the show for a bit, ask him a few racing questions. That was 
that was unbelievable. Absolutely. Um, just a lot of the people I've met, even now, just going to the racetrack and, and you know, being allowed to, I guess, walk up to drivers and ask them mm-hmm. questions, questions that I've had since I was a kid or questions that popped up recently that are more relevant is really, really neat. And everyone's always been really cool, really nice about it. So, I mean, I'm trying to think of other like individual things. We've gotten to do a lot of fun events. We do this Halloween iRacing race every year that uh, for charity. That's always really fun. That did such um, an awesome job in that. Race. <laughs> no, I recall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I appreciate your participation. It's <laughs> more will come to come to me, I'm sure. But it, it's it's that kind of thing. It's, it's so much. It's overwhelming, honestly. And uh, and I'm just thankful for every every experience. So, Eric, w- with that being said, you know, you you said your people definitely recognize you the track you know i've been actually been with you at the track and you know what's it's hilarious everyone says you're so tall let's say like five years ago five years ago to today do you feel like you are now part of the everyday nascar discussion with drivers do drivers recognize you and say hey you know what's going on eric like has that changed have you seen that happen in your career a little bit yeah definitely some drivers who i wouldn't expect to have come up and and said things to me that they that they watch or that they've seen what i talk about and honestly this is this is maybe this is sad that stresses me the hell out like <laughs> when i hear that cuz i mean just a, like you 5 years ago i was so far removed from the sport i was just a guy in his apartment talking to his camera and i felt like there were no repercussions i didn't have to you know confront any of these people in my day to day life now i go to the racetrack and you know I, at one point, Bubba Wallace said hi. He said, hey, what's up? And I was like, oh, Bubba knows who I am? And then I was like, shit, what have I said about Bubba Wallace? Let me make sure. What have I like, not said anything too bad? Like, I, I don't usually – I feel like when I criticize, it's hopefully fair. It's rooted in fairness. But yeah, it's it's surreal when that happens. But it also stresses me out, honestly. It's something I've gotten better at. A couple of years ago when it first would happen from time to time, I got really like, oh my gosh, this it hit me like a ton of bricks. But now it's 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 a little easier to, to stomach. But it, it was tough at first because I'm not great at speaking in front of an audience. I, I stress out. I'm not most people, but I stress out a ton having to do any sort of public speaking. But it's easier for me to talk like just to the two of you or even talk to a YouTube audience when all I can see is a number on the bottom. Right. Like, you know, I, I might see 10,000 there. That's a lot of people. It doesn't really stress me out. When I actually see people and I'm confronted with that reality face to face, that's when I'm like, oh my gosh, it just, it feels infinitely more real. And that's cool, but also could be a little stressful. <laughs> so, so in that respect, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but you know, facts are facts. Go for it. You are probably, if not, I'm, I'm just going to say, you're the most popular NASCAR influencer out there. I'm just going to say, it. I'm going to put it out there. Thank you. Everyone I, knows I, I, Eric Step, out of the groove. What is it like wearing that crown in the garage area? On the internet? <laughs> you know, I, I, again, I'm going to lay it on you thick, but I truly believe that. I mean, you have a, your face is a logo. I mean, it was the logo, it was the sponsor logo <laughs> of the car. You have like surpassed just being Eric Step. You are now Eric Step out of the groove. Oh, what is that? Voice. Like? You know, it, you definitely don't strike me as getting a big head. You know, I've I've talked to you several times. You're the nicest, most down to earth guy, just like Thad and the King. How have you how have you managed that? Because I've been there's so many guys in your position that get to where they're at, and they could they could turn around and just not be who they are anymore. But you have just maintained that. So what's it been like having that responsibility? I'm just going to call it because it is a responsibility in some sort. For younger fans, for new fans of the sport, you you really are one of the first faces they see um, on the YouTube space for NASCAR. 
Well, I appreciate you saying that, but but to your point about not having a big head, I, I would counter that with I literally put my giant head on a race <laughs> car. So um, that's debatable. That is up yeah. for debate still. But uh, no, I mean, to answer your question, I guess, I think in some ways it ties back to why I liked rooting for Matt Kenseth um, because I don't feel like he ever had, at least not publicly, I haven't talked to him much in private, but he never seemed to have a big head. He was obviously confident, knew what he was doing, knew he was good was very sure of himself, but he was very quiet, heads down, do the work, get the results. And I think growing up, that's kind of how I feel like I was. At least that's how I'd like to think I was. And I think I still am that way a bit to this to this day. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I always go back to, I, I realize how likely, I guess, my journey is. You know, four years ago, I wasn't expecting to be doing what I'm doing now full time. And it's a ton of fun. And I just try to keep that perspective, not take that for granted. Um, you know, it takes a lot of work to get to this point And you feel like if you're going to stay here with how, especially with how fast things on the internet change, it's going to take a lot of work to keep growing, to keep going where you want to go. So I guess maybe also at the core of it, there's a fear there. There's a fear of like that, knowing that it's, it's really easy for everything you've worked on or built up towards to fall apart. It's, it gets really easy. You see it all the time with people. Can Their reputations can change just like that. If they make a mistake, if they do something, they step out of line, they, they do something wrong. So yeah, I, I think there's that in the back of my head as well is, is it's everything is very delicate. It's all very fragile. So I'm thankful for being the position I'm in. And I just I wake up every day to try not to screw it up, I guess. <laughs> that may not be the best way to think of it. It's probably be better if you have more like an emboldened confidence and you just go out there, you know, chest out and just, I'm going to do what, what's right. Or I'm going to do what I think I should do because I know better. You know, some of that confidence is good, but there's a fine line between obviously confidence and arrogance. And that's sure. a line I'm always really afraid of crossing. So maybe I err a little too far on the side of caution sometimes, but, but no, I, I just enjoy what I do. And I'm glad I, glad I get to keep doing it. That's the number one thing, right? Just enjoying, enjoying what you do just from, yeah. From my standpoint, the same thing. I I wouldn't want to do anything other than what I do now. Uh, and I'm sure you feel the, the same way about what you do. So you've got to travel around with the circuit now. You've got to watch some good races, some not so good races, uh, some that you probably wish you didn't go to maybe. But uh, what is your favorite track? Growing up, it was Bristol. And I think still watching on TV, it's Bristol Motor Speed. But normal, I mean, dirt Bristol – I liked it more than a lot of people did, but you know, traditional concrete Bristol is probably my favorite track, but beginning to visit more and more tracks over the last few years. I've often said that if I were bringing a new fan or someone who is only loosely familiar with NASCAR to a race, I would take them to Daytona. I just think the facility is unbeatable and the style of racing is I think more, it's easier to follow. Let's just say, I guess if you're a new fan, you can kind of just tell, all right, whoever's in front of that mess of cars, that's the leader (laughs) You know, more times Mm -hmm. than not. And it's easier to, to kind of, I think, fall in love with in that respect, the speed, of course. So I, it's probably still between Bristol and Daytona. They're both very different. Bristol, uh, a little more kind of harder to get to, a little more rural, but but the, you know, there's not a bad seat in the house there. I will say that Daytona, there are bad seats at Daytona, in my opinion. <laughs> there's there's at least, like, I wouldn't want to sit right up against the fence at Daytona for 200, 200 laps. I don't know how you could do it. I did it once at Texas as a kid, and I had whiplash going like this, you know, <laughs> whipping my head back and forth for... Uh, however many laps it was. So it's between those two. We can agree on that. Cause I usually tell people that Bristol is somewhere that I could make laps all day long, but it's the Daytona atmosphere that I'm looking yeah. for. 
I'm looking for the driving under the tunnel and people are lined up on both sides mm -hmm. of me. Like if you could, if you could take da Daytona's atmosphere and move it to all the tracks, it would be. Yeah. But uh, Bristol is for sure an awesome place. Yeah. So no, Daytona's just, it's state of the art. It's, it's really, really, really nice what they've done with that place, which is why I think like new fans, that's like the easiest entry point. Like Bristol, if you're not, kind of if you're not sort of used to that lifestyle you, some folks might go to bristol and be like a culture shock daytona yeah. i don't think it's that way that's like Day, daytona is the kiddie pool you know getting just dipping yeah. your toe and getting you know your your foot in the door trying to understand nascar yeah so what does the future hold for eric east Steph? like what what is you got any big plans coming up or Right now I'm working on planning what races I'm going to go to next year. Every year I try to add at least a couple new tracks I've never been to. Last year it was Michigan. I'd never been there. That was cool. Um, Chicago, I guess, technically. North mm -hmm. Wilkesboro, hadn't been to those places. Um, this year I think I'm going to do Kansas. Kansas is a track everyone speaks very highly of. I want to go see Kansas. But other than that, longer term, it's hard for me to think more than a couple, like a year in advance, honestly. I think going into next year, one thing I really want to focus on with my show, with my channel, is I want to sort of put my money where my mouth is. I've talked about it even on this podcast here today that I think NASCAR needs to do a better job connecting to people our age, guys mm -hmm. in their 20s, 30s, that younger fan. And I think because I'm 26 now, I can absolutely, I can do that as well or better than anybody else. I feel like I can relate to that fan real easily, real naturally. So Going forward, I want my content this next year to to reach that audience. I want to do everything with that audience in mind. And my show, the audience for my show is very diverse. Folks come up to me at the track who are 12 years old, 60 years old, everywhere in between. Um, but I want to focus on the 20, 30-year-old fan, really try to connect with them. And if other folks gravitate towards it, that's great. They're along for the ride. I love that. So what that exactly looks like, I'm not sure sure yet. Some of that is just, you know, you got to keep up with the changing, the way people consume content. YouTube's huge still, but you got the rise of TikTok and YouTube shorts and other social media. So it's it's creating new original content, trying to find ways to repurpose existing content. There's only so many hours in a day, you know, I can only spread myself so thin, but that's where my head goes in the short term. It's just, what can I do to evolve the content, that next level to keep it fresh, keep it relevant, or, or just to make the most out of it. Bigger picture, five, 10 years. I I don't know. I might still be doing this. Maybe something bigger, better. There's tons of irons in the fire, of course, or ideas thrown like, you know, being, when I say irons in the fire, I should just say ideas in the back of my mind that are being worked on that would be like, it'd be cool to do this, cool to try this, be a part of this. Um, but what all comes to fruition and when I am not 100% sure. Yeah. Well, I love it. Well, you know, I have one more question. I'm going to ask the, the hardest question you probably need to answer. I don't know if a fan's oh, ever gosh. asked you this question. Yeah, so no pressure here. Martinsville, 2015, <laughs> the the incident. All right, what's the question? Matt, Matt Kenseth, was he in the right or the wrong? When that incident first happened, I didn't like it. I, I, I was like, nope, that's not Matt Kenseth. That was too far. I thought about it a little bit more and I saw other, I saw everybody else cheering it. That was the thing. Everybody else was, was thrilled. Did you thought, cheer well, when you saw that? Did no. you cheer? Oh, wow. No, I was, I was silent. <laughs> I was silent when I first saw it happen. Everybody else cheering made me revisit. I'm like, well, damn. Okay. Maybe <laughs> like I'm trying to be objective here. Maybe I 
maybe Kenseth wasn't the right. And, you know, you look back at it. I don't think it was, I don't think he was 100% in the right. I think he was right to retaliate against Logano. Logano deserved to get wrecked. Maybe not there. I just looked at the whole picture. What happened at Kansas, you know, you know he spins you out. You were blocking. You know, Logano's maybe more in the wrong there, but it's not that big a deal. I think, you know, that, that alone wasn't worth the retaliation. Talladega, there was some silly business. What pissed me off the most was Martinsville earlier in the race when Logano and Keselowski were playing those games on the restart and Brad dumps Kenseth. Just spun him out. Yep. I, he says something broke. I don't believe him to this day. <laughs> I still don't believe it. And I, I remember uh, the radioactive did Logano dirty. They showed his in-car of him <laughs> fist pumping when it happened. At that point, nope. You're <laughs> in the wall. Well, yeah, I, I still I still don't think agree with plowing someone into the outside wall when you're 20 laps down or whatever the case may be. I, I raked Jeff Gordon over the coals for doing the same thing three years earlier. But but the more I think about it, I, you know, some retaliation was justified. I still don't think that would have been the best way to do it. Well, I speak on behalf of probably your audience. I can sleep better at night now knowing Eric's thoughts on, on Martinsville 2015. <laughs> but you've said it all, buddy. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast and you know, tell people how they can find you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, yeah. We've talked a lot about YouTube. So my YouTube channel is just my name, Eric Estep. But if you type in out of the groove, the main show I do, it comes up, I think pretty quick as well. Uh, Twitter is same thing. It's, or it's at Eric Estep 17. There was an Eric Estep already when I created my Twitter handle. I don't know where, don't know who he is, but I will find him. So I had to throw a little 17 on the end there. Uh, those are the main two platforms. From there, you'll find everything else I work on. I also work with the team over at the, the Daily Downforce. They do a lot of daily NASCAR content as well. They have a store that I sell some merch on as well. So if you're ever looking for some good NASCAR off-season content, check out Daily Downforce as well, and you'll see some of my stuff in the mix. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today, Eric, and thank you for telling us a little bit about yourself and the story that you've experienced in NASCAR already. Awesome. Yeah. Great to be a part. Appreciate you guys having me on. We'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. Pristine Auction is the most trusted sports memorabilia and collectibles auction site. Auctions on pristineauction.com start at just $1, and each day, thousands of signed items are available. So you can win signed authentic items at affordable prices. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. Pristineauction.com is your one-stop shop for authentic signed diecast, helmets, trading cards, photos, and so much more of your favorite driver. I've got my eye on some of John Andretti's stuff on pristineauction.com now. What about you, Roller? I'm actually looking at a 1959 Daytona 500 inaugural ticket, uh, that race that you know your great-grandfather won. I don't know if you, you knew that or not, but I want to put that in my collection possibly and put my bid in today. And that would be something cool to add to the collection for sure. Well, upgrade your collection today and get $10 off your first win with registration code THAD. Again, that's registration code THAD for $10 off your first order. Links are in the show notes. Induction Innovations is a leader in American-made handheld induction theater, home to the original mini ducklings. For over 20 years, they have been innovating how mechanics can tackle challenges like Loctite, Rust, and much more. Induction Innovations Mini Ductor Series was meant to free up components quickly using induction heat. The Mini Ductor is designed to help techs cut down on ticket times and say, forget that torch. 
Induction Innovations. Do it faster, do it better, do it safer. Visit theinductor.com to learn more. That was great getting to talk to Eric and, and getting to learn some about him. He's definitely become a household name in our sport, so getting the opportunity to learn a little bit about his history. Hopefully he'll be around for years to come. Yeah, um, really enjoyed talking to Eric. Really nice guy. I've known Eric for about two years now, and you know he's a, he's a real deal, real McCoy. Shoots straight. I think that's why a lot of fans like him. And it was fun talking to him about you know moving his his start with his family, getting the channel going with stop motion, larger than life, like literally, figuratively, and and literally. I mean, the guy's six foot seven. So I know we talked about him fitting in a race car, probably that not being a reality, but uh, super, super happy that he came aboard to talk to us today. Hopefully we'll see more of him um, next year. I found found it very interesting, his comments on the 2015 Martinsville road. <laughs> I thought for sure, like I saw all the Matt Kenseth stuff behind him and he's like, dude, Matt's, Matt's my favorite driver. I was like, yeah. That's what we do in Maiden Level Cross, man. We, we ask the hard questions and I wanted to, Pitched that one to him, knowing he was a Matt Kenseth fan. And I, I would have thought he would have, you know, totally just backed his boy the whole time, which he ended up doing after the fact. But the initial reaction, I was kind of surprised. I don't know why I was surprised. You know, Eric is very uh, unbiased and objective when it comes to reporting on NASCAR. So, you know, hats off to Eric. He, he surprised me. And that was a classic Eric answer. But I think at the end of the day, he went with his Matt Kenseth fandom. Yeah, for sure. And then hats off to Eric for everything that he's been able to accomplish in the sport already, too. I mean, for him to just a couple of years ago be doing stop-motion videos to now be in a household name in the Cup, Xfinity, and Truck Garage is, is pretty remarkable for everything he's been able to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, the guy got his, his face on a hood of a car last year, so that's pretty... And he sponsored a few cars at this point. <laughs> Makes makes YouTube videos about all of us. I hope that he doesn't yeah. make any about like me bad mouthing me. If he does, maybe it'll be like, man, that was a good race. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I believe we'll be talking to Eric quite a lot next year, and I'd like to just get into that. So next year, we kind of teased it a little bit, Thad, about your plans. I think we can unveil your secrets. We can. We can lift the curtain. What is going on next year? Because by the time people are listening to this, you have already made your announcement. So tell us tell us the news. So I'm super excited about this opportunity. So I'm going to run the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series full-time with a brand-new team called Faction 46. It's a Nice affiliate team. So we'll be running in conjunction with the, with the Nice group. And I've been over there and met all those guys, Al Nice, Cody Efall all those guys so super excited to get to work next year and try and win some races uh, with this brand new team it's always a struggle at, at first when you get a brand new team you know I mean the growing pains that come along with it and everything else but hopefully latching on to a team like Nice that's been in the sport for a long time will will help I guess shorten that curve you know so super excited about the opportunity to go full-time in the truck series and be the first petty to run full-time in NASCAR since 08 is a, another really cool opportunity. And then with it being the Petty's 75th year in racing, I mean, 
the storyline's awesome. And I get my number back. Super excited about that. I get to run the 46 again next year. A lot of good good mojo going into Daytona. So uh, keep our head down and then try and go win some races next year and uh, make the playoffs and uh, just one step at a time. Yeah, it, I mean, I can say firsthand because I've been working right beside you. There's probably a lot of nerves. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of trepidation. Just There's just a, a mix of feelings going to this. But, I mean, you've been working at this for, gosh, how many years? Over, over 10, yeah. right, would you say? Yeah. So 10 years. What, when you finally get into the truck at Daytona, because you've already, you've already tested your seat out so far, but when you actually strap in to go racing, what's going to be going through your mind? Like, wh- where do you, where is your head going to be at? It's hard to say it not knowing, you know, I mean, like when you strap in at Daytona, it's a lot, it's, it's a lot every time I do it, but I just take everything race by race is, is kind of what my grandpa talked to me about a couple of years ago. He's like, you can't live in the past and you can't live mm-hmm. in the future. You can only live in the present. So I think just taking it one race at a time and, and getting on the same page with all my team. And I mean, the emotions always run high at Daytona, you know, and the, and the restrictor plate racing isn't necessarily my favorite race. And Daytona's atmosphere is awesome, but restrictor plate racing, I just kind of take it for what it is. You know, I've had the fastest car there and been wrecked on lap four and I've had something that I could barely keep up with and ran top five. So it is, it, it's, just kind of is what it is is what i always tell people about those places yeah it's really cool you're going 200 miles an hour and you're a couple inches apart from each other but strapping in at daytona is always a pleasure and an honor especially with all my family history at daytona man that's a box i'd really like to check it doesn't matter it doesn't have to be the 500 just to win a race at daytona would be awesome for me and like you said i mean people think these things just happen like Mm -hmm. they just think man, your grandpa's going to put you in a 43 car. It just doesn't work like that. <laughs> no, it does not. No, it, 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 it's not just how it works. So, yeah, we've been working hard on this particular opportunity since last summer. So it's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears already uh, getting us to this point. And hopefully we can capitalize on all the hard work that everybody's put in during this off season, starting at Daytona and then, carry it to Atlanta and Vegas and all the way through the schedule is my goal. Mm -hmm. um, Yep. Again, super excited about this opportunity. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I have the unique pleasure of, you know, this is a brand new team. This is kind you know, I've, I've helped with NASCAR sponsorships in the past, but this is kind of new territory for me. This is, this is brand new team. You're, in all, in all essence, you're, you're a rookie driver. You know, I, I know you are, but I mean, you did some start last year, but th- I mean, this is a fresh slate for you. For the people who are, are new to this, you know, sport or if people have been watching the sport, I don't think they, they get the behind the scenes look about what goes into it. So, you know, you found a ride, right? So that, that was, that was a climb as it stood, but once you're signed in, like, why don't you tell everybody, like, what, what are the next steps? You know, what, what's involved? You know, when a driver gets a contract, he signs it. What, what goes on during that off season up until that first race? You know, like, what are you doing on a weekly basis to prepare yourself? Like, 
making sure sponsors are there. Like what, what's, what's involved with that process? Because I'm sure a lot of people aren't aware. I think people just think that the haulers come out, uh, the trucks get wrapped like the week before and bam, you're racing. Yeah. Uh, and there's obviously more to that. So why don't you like d- take us behind the scenes with that aspect and what are you doing right now? Pre-announcement, right? Yeah. So, well, first we're working hard on the announcement, right? We're working hard on, <laughs> on everything else. But as, but as far as the racing stuff goes, I mean, me and my crew chief, Doug George, are forming a relationship. I've been at the shop, delivered my seats, saw my Daytona truck, just getting some body work done to it and going to get ready to get some suspension and stuff on it. And this is several months before Daytona. So um, hmm. the Atlanta truck, the Vegas truck, all those trucks were there. So I got to see all of them. So a lot of the shop stuff is for the team to handle which i do like to take a part in that just to see and be there but outside of that nascar is a lot more physically demanding than people give it credit for so working out sim time all that stuff is really really vital to to be successful uh behind the wheel of the race car so that those are things that i do on a daily basis hopefully we can get some chevrolet sim time this year and that would help our team tremendously so to be able to run laps at places that I've never seen or been to before uh, on the simulator before I go. And then, of course, the iRacing that everyone has access to is something that I lean on heavily to get a feel for racetracks that I've never seen, especially this past year in the TA2 series. Like, man, 80% of the racetracks I went to, I didn't never see in person until I unloaded there. So, at least I'll have a little bit different viewpoint next year in the truck series because I ran ARCA and I got to run the Kansas and I got to run Vegas in the truck and Atlanta and uh, Daytona. I think I've run four or five times now. So getting to see some of these places is, is a big advantage. Is there any place you're looking forward to in particular? Like, is, it, is there a track that you're like, man, I mean, I, like I saw Coda's on the schedule and you did pretty well at Coda with Trans Am. Like, is that... I mean, that's something I'm just, I'm curious myself about, like, how does that kind of translate those road cooler skills that you refined with Trans Am? Do you feel, it can't not help you, but do you feel that you have an advantage going in over the rest of the field because of Trans Am? I would like to think so, but I guess I'll find out when I go to Coda. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think that, that being that I've run, I don't know how many laps I ran, like 50, 60 laps there that day that it would help me. I mean, I, I don't see how it could hurt me. I know those cars are a little bit different. They're lighter. They don't have quite as much horsepower, but we're still on a radial tire. They still have a similar transmission. So a lot of that is, I don't know, apples to oranges, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll just find out when we unload at Coda. Coda's definitely one uh, on the top of my list. I was hoping that we would go back to mid-Ohio because I ran really good there in the ARCA car and I ran good there. In the TA2 car, I really like that racetrack. And then Bristol. Man, I love Bristol. And we get to go there twice next year, and it's not dirt. Nothing no offense <laughs> to anybody that likes the dirt stuff. It's just not really my cup of tea, especially on a place like Bristol. Like if we ran it at Eldora or like an actual dirt track, I think it'd be awesome. But Bristol's cool enough when it's concrete. I don't think you need to put dirt on it to make it cool. So going there and – of course, Daytona, we were just talking about it. The energy at Daytona is unmatched anywhere else. So always top of the list to, to get to go there and 
participate in the 500 weekend is, is always really cool. Has it like registered to you? Let me say it this way. Has, is it real to you yet? Like, have you had this moment of like, Oh my God, this is, this is actually happening. Has that happened yet? Or do you think? I don't think, I don't think so. I think it's for right now, I'm kind of just treating it as like every other season, right? I mean, I'm doing my work, I'm doing my homework, just grinding it out, getting everything I can get outside of the car. So that way I can perform well inside of the car. But I think at some point it'll hit me. I just don't know when. I don't know if it's going to be the announcement with everybody there and or if it's going to be on pit road at Daytona where it's like, man, I'm I'm part of this group of 36 drivers this year. Yeah. That's pretty neat. So, I mean, I'll check back in with you. And, and let yeah, you know. no, I'm, I'll definitely ask that question because I, I think – that's something I, I know a lot of people are probably asking as well. Like for any driver who's, who's starting out, you know, is, has it, has it registered with you yet? What's been your, what's been the family's reaction? I mean, now that, now that the, the contract's done, now the hard work starts, what's been the reaction from mom, dad, Lauren's family, you know, what's grandpa, like what's it been like? It's a bunch, a bunch of high fives and fist bumps. <laughs> Man, we finally did it, you know. So something we've been trying to do was go full-time in a competitive ride. And we feel that this is an opportunity for not only me, but for the entire family to get back in victory lane and to run well and and be competitive at a high level. It's hard to win races, man. It's it's really hard to win races at the NASCAR level, any of them. I mean, Cup, Xfinity, Trucks, every weekend those guys prove it. So. I think that just having the opportunity in a competitive ride has been, uh, I don't know, unimaginable uh, to me. Sure. So for me to get this opportunity, my family's been nothing but supportive, excited. Grandpa's pumped up. Nobody can wait for Daytona. It's like, man, we, we finally did it. And now we have to wait for three months. So <laughs> Daytona can't come quick enough, not only for me, but – uh, for all the people involved in this. And, and there's so many people. I mean, we could make a whole podcast of people thinking for this opportunity. But I'm definitely grateful that I'm the one that gets to drive the number 46 truck next year. It's pretty cool. I mean, and it's I'm honored to be a part of it with you. It's, it's awesome to have Lane Moore. I don't think we've mentioned Lane. I mean, Lane's brand new truck series owner. So, you know, grateful to him for – for being such a cool boss, right? Yeah. For you. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty neat. And and I got to meet him in person for the first time at Bristol. And it was almost like I'd known him my whole life. It was like one of those weird connections where it's like, mm-hmm. like you just kind of hit it off. And I was like, man, this is going to be a fun year. And at the end of the day, that's, that's what we want to win races. We want to be competitive, but <clears throat> What good is it if you have no fun doing it? So I'm I'm looking forward to the group that we've built around me and this Faction 46 team for the 2024 season. And we're going to have a lot of fun for sure. Hopefully we run really good. Yeah, that 46, I mean, the, the team's Faction 46, your number's 46, which I'll get into shortly. But just for the audience, so the Faction 46, you know, the, we asked Lane, what's, what's with the name? You know, why isn't it? racing why is it motorsports why isn't it this why isn't it that faction 
this is what I've been told, faction being, you know, they're different. We're doing things differently. We're focusing on a lot of different aspects, the partners, the the driver, that we're making it a family atmosphere. Not saying other teams don't do that already, but we're trying to do things a little bit differently. And then 46, you know, not only is that your number, but I thought it was neat that, you know, Lane's going to be the first owner from Oklahoma, which was the 46th state in the union. So that's like a really cool tie-in. But getting back to 46, for people who don't know, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously know who Thad is and kind of aware of the lineage. But, you know, you got your great-grandfather, Lee, with the 42, your grandpa, 43, Uncle Kyle's got 44, and then your cousin Adam's got 45. What does that do to you, like, to know that you are now – you got kind of got, like, the torch passed to you, and now – I mean, because I wasn't aware of how the number thing worked with NASCAR, but it's not just like you can say, I want this number and it's automatically given to you. So, I mean, how cool is it that you have 46? Like, what does it mean to you to have that number? It's uniquely yours, correct? Yeah, I think that it just kind of gives me some identity with outside of the Petty name, right? Because it's not like I don't enjoy being part of the Petty family, but – I don't enjoy getting compared to Richard Petty every day of my mm-hmm. entire life. <laughs> and if I drive the 43 car, no disrespect to anybody who's ever driven the 43 car, but you're never going to be Richard Petty. You're always running no. Richard Petty's number is on your door when you're mm-hmm. driving the 43 car, which is an honor. And I was, I was honored to drive the 43 car in the TA2 series and select truck races. And um, man, I've run the 43 car a lot throughout my racing career. But for me to get the 46 tied to my name, Thad Moffitt, and kind of gives me my own identity. Like that, like 45 was Adam. Yeah. Right. And then 42 was Lee. And Uncle Kyle kind of had a little bit of everything. Yeah, he, had a, <laughs> he, he, he pretty much ran them all, right? He ran them. With except about everything. But uh, yeah. Seven, I, I remember 44 Hot Wheels car because that was my childhood was the yeah, 44 Hot Wheels sure. car. And then for me, like when people see that 46 number in the Petty font, I want them to think Thad Moffat, right? Like, I, yep. So I think it's really cool to get the number, which is difficult. Like you said, that's a process in and of itself. But for us to be able to pull it off and then all the tie-in with Lane for being from Oklahoma and it being the 46th state in the union – just made all the sense in the world for us to put some resources behind it to get the number 46. Well, you know, we're, I'm super excited again, by the time you hear this, the announcement will have already been made, but you know, we're, we're, we're psyched for you, Thad. I'm getting ready for that. There's a lot of, a lot of little things that need to go right. Right. You know, people, logistics, but it's going to be done well. And the, it, the bummer is I'm not going to see you around the garage as much. You'll be at the fancy race team, but you know, you, you'll, you'll make your way to the garage once in a while. And, uh, cause if you don't, you won't get some of that, that fancy new coffee we just released. Yeah. So, have you had any of that? Yeah. Well, level cross is part of my life. Remember that. That's what this whole show is about. So I'll never not. <laughs> I'll never not the garage. I just won't be there as much. I guess. Yeah, I'm excited about the opportunity and grateful again. And I appreciate everybody for tuning in today and listening to Made in Level Cross. Remember to like and subscribe and do all that fancy stuff. And you can find me on social media at Thad Moffitt. 
and then on Facebook and Twitter at Thad Moffat Racing. You got it. Big thanks to everyone for listening. Big thanks to Pristine Auction for presenting this show. And until next time, I'll talk to you guys later.